We're starting um, this autumn time to be thinking together about prayer. And goodness, if there's one part of, of life with God where I think most of us would say we, we feel the need of God's help, this is probably it. So uh, let's just pray, asking God to help us as we think about prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful truth that you're a God who longs to communicate with us. And we say at the outset, Lord, that we find this communication elusive. For many of us, we go for long periods of time not knowing a conversational prayerfulness with you. We pray that you would be among us this evening to bless us, to reaffirm us in our desire to be yours and to talk with you. Lord, help us to gather here, not in a spirit of defeat or expecting your judgment, but rather in a spirit of expectancy that we might grow and learn in you. Come and guide us, we pray, by your Spirit. Amen. I have come to the conclusion that the vast majority of professing Christians do not pray at all. I wonder if you agree. Don't worry, it's not not my statement. Bishop Ryle said that in the late, uh, late 19th century, late 1800s. If we imagine that prayerlessness in the church is a new thing, then hearing uh, a quotation like this might just give us a bit of perspective. It's a common thing probably, through the history of the church that many of God's people have struggled to be prayerful. As I've got closer to starting a, a series uh, teaching on prayer, I, I've hesitated a, a number of times. Uh, it just At times it seemed like a good idea and at times it didn't. The reasons it doesn't seem like a good idea to me to, to be teaching on prayerfulness is that I know that I'm not ready to teach anybody anything much about prayer. And I sometimes doubt that I ever will be. At times the, the level of prayerlessness in my life frightens me. But in the end, I've sensed a nudge from God to go ahead anyway. As I say, I don't know if I'll feel any more qualified five years from now, 20 years from now. It's as though God is challenging, calling me to a life of deeper prayerfulness and he is saying, well, why don't you share that and invite others to join you on the way? So I'll steal a phrase from Richard Foster. I'll teach this series, he says, speaking for all the prayerless persons that I've been 
and all the prayerful persons I hope to become. I think that captures for me where I am at. The person who's helped me most in the life of prayer through their teaching is James Houston, the founding chancellor of Regent College. Today, for some reason that I can't explain, has ended up being a Regent College day here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. Uh, we had John Hall here telling us a bit about the college. Uh, Gordon Fee, my New Testament professor, was very much present in what I was teaching this morning. And, and James Houston uh, has been a big influence in my life. His, his book, Prayer, The Transforming Friendship, I read it in the summer of 1997. We were given a long reading list of stuff that we were supposed to read before showing up at college. It won't surprise you that I didn't read the whole list, but I did read this book. Let me read an opening couple of paragraphs from that book that will give you a sense of what he has to say. He says, For many years prayer was probably the weakest dimension in my life as a Christian. My father was a very devout man, and I greatly respected his way of life. The problem is that moral admiration is often a cause of moral paralysis. And this is exactly my problem. I used to think that prayer was a spiritual exercise, something that needed to be worked at, like running or, or vaulting. But I was never any good at sports. And perhaps I'd never be a good prayer either. After years of feeling useless and guilty, I began to realize the truth of a comment made by one of the early fathers of the church, Clement of Alexandria. He said that prayer is keeping company with God. This began to give me a new focus for prayer. I began to see prayer more as a friendship than as a rigorous discipline. It started to become more of a relationship and less of a performance. Uh, the title of Dr. Houston's book, The Transforming Friendship, uh, Prayer, The Transforming Friendship, gives, gives it all away right at the outset. So I've just shared a little bit of the, the impact that that book and that way of thinking had on me way back in 97 when I read it. But I also told you a moment ago that I continue to struggle with prayer. I want to take a little time this evening to think first of all about why we don't pray and then to offer a simple first step back to prayerfulness. Why we don't pray and then a simple first step back to prayerfulness. Ask those people today why they don't pray and the number one answer I think will be busyness. We're too busy. And it seems like a perfectly legitimate reason. It doesn't seem like an excuse at all. It seems like a reason. We're just too busy. I, I couldn't possibly pray. I mean, how much more can I do in this over-busy life that I live? The Desert Fathers, they were kind of like a, a protest movement in the 3rd and 4th century against what they thought was a, a, a laxity in, in the church. They called busyness moral laziness. Whenever we're busy, we use busyness to repress our, our inner fears and anxieties. If I don't want to think about something, I just keep busy. 
It's a good way to, to keep things to the back of my mind. Or maybe we keep ourselves busy because we don't want to miss out on anything. Life has so much to offer and I need to have a go at everything. We define ourselves by what we do rather than who we are and what we're becoming. If prayer really is a relationship with God where who I am matters more than what I do, then it's inevitable that busy people aren't going to have an awful lot of time for prayer. The thing about busyness, I I suppose, is that in the end we're not too busy for the things that are priorities to us. We're only too busy for those things that that aren't priorities, they get pushed down. So busyness keeps us from praying. Another reason why Christian people today don't pray is that it's one that I think we're less likely to articulate. It's, It's that we're afraid of knowing ourselves. Knowing ourselves sometimes isn't a very flattering experience, so we'd rather fill our minds. We'd rather, when we walk into the house, make sure that the radio's on or that the TV's on in the background, that there's some noise so that we don't have to listen to our own souls. We'd rather live with masks and and cover-ups. So prayer can be a very humbling experience because it's a, it's a very honest place. It's not easy to to lie when you're talking to God. Prayer encourages moral realism. We see God as he really is and we see ourselves as we really are and that's, that's humbling. So we don't pray because we're too busy, but we keep ourselves busy because we don't want to deal with who we really are and, and what life really is like. C.S. Lewis says that prayer in the end is a battle of the will. In his book, The Great Divorce, he puts it like this. He says, God either says to us, thy will be done in damnation and loss, or else we say to God, thy will be done. Dan had us pray the Lord's Prayer today, something that we don't do uh, repeatedly in prayer. Kirkpatrick, but we used that phrase this morning as we prayed together, thy will be done. And that's what prayerfulness is. It's to to live a life attentive to the will of God rather than, than our own. One of the things that James Houston and others like him have taught me over the years is that prayer isn't real unless it comes from the heart. And, and you'll know that in, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the, the center of the person, the place where all of our attitudes, our emotions, uh, our motivations come from. So prayer has to be from the heart because God's not interested in peripheral things. He's only interested in the core of who we are, in our feelings, our minds, our imaginations, our love, our memories, our wills. God wants to know us intimately for all that we are. John Chrysostom, the great preacher of the 4th century, put it like this. He said, find the door of your heart 
and you'll discover that it's the door to the kingdom of God. If prayer really is keeping company with God, if it really is a friendship with God, tell me this. Would that not likely change us in the long run? If you spend time, um, if you kept company with the living God, would this not make us eventually into totally different people? Would this not be the thing that, that finally moves us towards completion, the people that God always intended us to be? This is what we're interested in. Not learning forms of words. Not learning formulas or patterns. But learning to be in friendship and company of God. Let's seek this transforming friendship with God. I said at the outset that we'd take a bit of time to think about why we struggle with prayerfulness. And then later we'd take a bit of time to think about a first step back towards prayerfulness. I'm going to split my, my thinking uh, this evening in two parts. And we're going to sing a couple of songs together just now uh, before we come to look at a, a second aspect of all of this. We're going to sing two, two quite familiar songs. My Jesus, my Savior, and then uh, all my days I will sing this song of gladness. We'll keep our seats for my Jesus, my Savior, and that will give the stewards an opportunity to lift the offering and then when we come to, to start the next song uh, we'll stand uh, and we'll sing together so uh, let's let's continue worshiping god
a moment ago we were thinking about the, the love-hate relationship uh, that we have with prayer. We long to be people of prayer and yet it seems like we'd rather do anything else sometimes than, than simply to open our hearts and to be with God in prayer. Uh, we experience what Richard Foster calls the agony of, of prayerlessness. Even when we come to the point where we think we'd like to, to be praying again, something seems to hold us back. Maybe we've dealt with the busyness question and resolved to make more time. Maybe we've accepted that prayer is going to lead to a, a new honesty uh, and humility. But even then we find it difficult to pray. There, there seem to be still further obstacles. For most of us, I think we, we imagine that we have to get everything just right before we can pray. That is, our prayers need to be, or, or sorry, our lives need to be sorted before we can pray. How, how can I pray when I'm living like this? Is that not hypocrisy? Or, or how can I pray until I read another book about prayer? Or, or how can I pray have philosophical questions unanswered about what prayer actually is and, and what good it actually does? Friends, I think to approach prayer in this way, and, and I know that, that I've often done that, is probably to come at it the wrong way. It's to say that unless I'm in control, unless I've got all the answers and have it all sorted, I'm not going to pray. It's still about mastering prayer. Much better probably is to admit that there's a lot wrong with our lives. There's a lot that we don't know and don't understand but to resolve to pray anyway. As well as getting ourselves right and our thinking right, we often need, we often imagine that we need to get our motives right to pray. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of maybe praying in a, in a small group somewhere where you've, you've actually prayed out loud and you've heard yourself. And almost as soon as you finished praying, you thought, oh my goodness. You hear what you've articulated and you decide, I will never pray again. If that's all that's in me, if it's really as selfish and as self-centered, if my vision is really as small as that, I'll just keep my mouth shut. So we find ourselves thinking that we need to sort all this out, get all our motives right, to be perfect people before we can give voice to prayer. Folks, that's only the way to paralysis. That's a sure way to never pray again. The truth of the matter is, we all come to prayer with a, a real tangled mess of motives. We're, we're selfless and selfish at the same time. We're merciful and hateful at the same time. We're loving and we're bitter. And quite honestly, this side of heaven, that's not going to change. So let's stop waiting for, for the time when it will. Let, let's just accept that. 
And let's remember that the God we love and we serve, he's full of mercy and compassion and he receives us just as we are. Once we get this into our heads and our hearts that God really can take it, he really can receive us just as we are, then we're, we're finally ready to pray. Richard Foster gives a lovely image that stuck with me when I read it. He says, in the same way that a small child cannot draw a bad picture, so a child of God cannot offer a bad prayer. You should see some of the stuff on the kitchen walls in our home that the kids have brought home from nursery school and school. We have to ask the guys, guys, what is that? And it's some rainbow-colored blob, and they'll tell us, oh, that's the queen. And you're, okay, I see it now. But a child can't paint a bad picture. They just express themselves as they are and that's a great image for how to begin to pray God just loves us to come to him in prayer in his book prayer the transforming uh, friendship no sorry in the other book that I've been reading prayer finding the heart's true home Richard Foster talks about the the landscape of prayer I was shocked Whenever I pick up a book, I usually look at the contents and the footnotes. That gives me a feel for what the book's going to be about. This book is amazing. It, he talks about prayer, and he, he, it's almost a bit like a textbook because he, he classifies prayer into different types of prayer. And I think if I tried to come up with different types of prayer, I might get the three or four types. 21 chapters of different types of prayer. He just expands the landscape. Um, and I want to spend a few minutes this evening just telling you a little bit about the first, chapter one, the first type of prayer that he talks about. He calls it simple prayer. Simple prayer is bringing ourselves to God right now, exactly as we are, warts and all. It's like bringing that painting before God. We don't try to learn to paint any better. We just come as we are. We don't try to sort things out, the good things and the bad things. We simply tell God what's on our minds and on our hearts. So if we're, if there's a co-worker annoying the life out of us, that's what we talk to God about. If our marriage is, is difficult and breaking our hearts, that's what we talk to God about. Whatever it is that's on our hearts, we talk to God about that and we refuse to bypass it. Because honesty and authenticity is the bedrock on which we are going to build. We ask God for food. We, we ask him for favorable weather. And yes, we ask him for good health. I wonder what you make of that. Too selfish? Not spiritual enough? Well, it might surprise you to find that this this simple, immediate prayerfulness is the most common type of prayer in the Bible. If you read the Bible and highlight all the prayers, most of them fall into this category. And it's fascinating to see just how some of the so-called heroes of the faith prayed. Think of Moses. So there's a lovely prayer in Numbers 11 where he's complaining to God, saying, 
God, I can't believe you give me this crowd of people to look after. And that's his prayer. He says, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you? That you've put the burden of all these people on me. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden's too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. That sounds like a pretty honest prayer. Lord, I don't like this. I don't like looking after these people. What about Elisha? Do you remember the time the, the teenagers shouted abuse at him? And we read that Elisha called on the name of the Lord. The prayer's not recorded, but we know that he prayed. Two bears come out of the wood and mauled 42 of these guys in response to Elisha's calling on the Lord. What about the psalmist, Psalm 137, where he prays against Israel's enemies, Babylon? Happy is he who seizes your infants, Babylon, and dashes them against the rocks. Prayer. Praying what's really inside you and starting to share it with God. So there's a lot of questionable prayers in the scriptures. A lot of them are pretty objectionable really, in terms of their content. But people are praying. They're beginning to talk to God. Simple prayer is ordinary people bringing ordinary concerns to a loving Heavenly Father. So the pressure's off. On the one hand, I think this sounds really easy. It sounds like, oh great, I don't have to struggle anymore to think of what to pray. I just say what's inside me. Do you know what? If you're somebody like me who's grown up in the church, this is really hard. Because you've been trained in dishonesty. You've been trained in thinking what you ought to say. So as soon as you bow your head or put your hands together, some reaction happens in your brain that you start saying things that aren't what's on your heart. Simple prayer. Hopefully by now we're beginning to be relatively clear about what it is. How are we going to do this? What do we do and where do we begin? Well, well, very simply, we, we do, do what we've been saying here. We begin right where we are. We begin with our families and our jobs and our neighbors and our friends. And by the way, if that sounds trivial to you, if you were hoping for something a bit more spiritual or a bit deeper, there's nothing trivial about this. To take seriously that God really does care about our real lives is, is a huge step. And most of us struggle ever to take that step. We need to learn to, to believe that God can bless us now, here and now. That it's in these ordinary compromised lives that we're living now. Maybe you're like me, maybe you're saying, yes, my life's a horlix now, but I can sort this out. In six months' time, this can be better, and then my life with God's going to take off. Have you ever noticed that the six months' time never comes? Ever? 
It has to be here in this place and it has to be now in this time or it's never going to be because this is the only place and time that we ever are. It's here and now. We imagine that God's going to bless us once we get married, once our careers have taken off, once the kids are up a bit, once we're in that new job, but, but it's not true. Here and now. Do you remember Moses at the burning bush? There it is, burning bush. It's iconic. It's one of those biblical holy moments. Do you know where it happens? It's on the job. Moses is a, he's a shepherd. He didn't go out to the burning bush to, to meet with God. He was knee deep in, in sheep poo doing his job. And God appears and he says, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. It's here and now where we're living that we need to to meet with God. There's no pretense in simple prayer. We don't pretend to be any more holy, any more pure, any more saintly than we actually are. We don't conceal our conflicting or contradictory motives from ourselves or from God. We just pour out our hearts before God. And we, haven't, we have confidence in him that he's big enough to handle it. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, he urges us to come to God and lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We tell him our hurts. We share our sorrows. We speak of our joys. And we do it freely and openly. And in a compassion and love that we can't even begin to grasp, the Lord loves to hear it. He delights in our presence. And and something incredible can happen then. It's by beginning to pray that we learn to pray. I thought this evening the best thing would simply be to give you a few minutes to pray simple prayer. You might experience what I described a moment ago, the sense that although this sounds like it would be easy, it's not. But we're going to do it anyway. Take five minutes. I'm going to leave five minutes silence just now. And maybe you haven't prayed for a week or a month or a year, or in longer than that. But I want you to open your heart to the Lord and to pray. And don't let it be anything other than what's there. Let's pray.
our simple prayers. wonder what would happen if we did that every day for a week. Five minutes. Whatever is on your mind and on your heart. wonder what God would have done in our lives between now and next Sunday. Might be a, a simple first step back into prayerfulness. Let me offer you a, an image um, of what God might do in us if we committed ourselves to praying simply like this for a while. You've heard of the Copernican Revolution. It, it, it refers to a uh, a shift in the way we understood the world. Uh, there was a time when human beings imagined that the earth was the center of things and that all the planets orbited around the earth. And then uh, in the time of Copernicus and other uh, like-minded scientists, we discovered actually there's something different going on. Uh, the sun is at the center and everything orbits around the sun. When we pray simple prayer, then we're still praying the old way. Everything revolves around me and my ideas and my needs and my... But beginning to pray, a Copernican revolution is set underway where we begin to see that, no, it's not all about me. It's all about him. It's not really about where God is in my life, but where my life fits into to him. I think this is what might happen for us if we began even simple prayer.